Hey kids, what time is it? Time for another episode of Brio TV, the podcast. I'm your host, Bill Brio, and we've got a great guest for you today. But first, this episode is brought to you by Super Channel, providing viewers with exceptional value and variety, CTV, which urges you to get into it this fall, and Hollywood Suite, home of the best movies of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Well, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Hallmark have already launched their countdown to Christmas with 41 new films scheduled to run this holiday season in Canada, the U.S., and many more as well. And uh, now I have a fellow here I've talked to many times. He's directed many of these films, many features altogether, over 40 features, half of them Hallmark movies, I believe, and many TV shows and uh uh, many other things as well. Um, and uh, he's worked with all the top stars at Hallmark, your favorites. He's got a couple of great new films coming out this season. Please welcome director David Winning. David, good to see you. Thank you, Bill. So nice to uh, actually connect again. Yeah. You must you've, been really, you've been incredibly supportive of my work last whatever plus years, and I greatly appreciate it. So thank you. It's always my pleasure. And David, I think the first time you and I talked in person was down on one of those Television Critics Association press tours. I think we were on stage together. You were just doing a presentation, right? You were directing something. Does that ring a bell? I can't remember. I can't remember. I think you're right. I think you're right. I wouldn't know what it was. I've done a lot. I've done some of these press events. Was it a Hallmark thing or do you remember? I honestly don't remember. It could have been one of your shows. Could have been... uh, you know, but well, uh, I, as, as you know, I've had kind of a weird dual existence, especially the last five years. I've been doing a lot of the Hallmark movies, and I was also uh, a house director on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Very violent uh, post-apocalyptic vampire series, Van Helsing, that runs on Netflix. So if you, you couldn't get further apart in terms of genres. So it's been kind of a schizophrenic existence for me over the last few years. But uh, Hallmark's been great. Um, I just finished uh, my 20th for them, which is kind of a nice uh, hallmark, hallmark, I guess you could say. (laughs) Congratulations. Yeah, you've had this amazing career where you've been able to to visit both the light and the dark ends of of what you do. Well, I think what it is is I've never really turned down a job. (laughs) uh, You know, when you start out, you're so desperate for jobs, and then eventually you realize you're kind of – I guess at some level of success or whatever that you could be a little bit more discriminating. Not me. I just kind of take the jobs because I like to work with a lot of different people. I like to work, you know, I've had the opportunity to work kind of all over the world. I've done, uh, I did a dinosaur series in Budapest for ABC. I did a a movie in in, in like a 600 year old Scottish castle, which was a complete riot. And uh, yeah, I've just, I've been, I've been able to travel all over the place and, meet a lot of fun folks. So it's, that's the coolest part about the job. I think I I've been to one or two of those old Scottish castles. What movie was that? Um, 19, uh, what year was it? 2000, uh, later than that, 2000 and, uh, 2002, I think it was, I was over in Scotland doing, um, one of the three Merlin movies. I was doing the lowest budget Merlin movie and we were shooting, uh, uh, with uh, Jason Connery and Deborah Moore, the it was the the hook for the movie was it was the Bond offspring. It was uh, 
Jason, uh, Sean Connery's son and Roger Moore's daughter were in this movie together. Oh, that's And uh, it was, uh, yeah, and we shot inside a, the Cromwell attacked castle. It was outside of Peebles, Scotland, uh, 600 year old castle. Just fascinating. I mean, just great people to work with. It was, uh, it was a ton of fun. Was it the, the, I know one of the castles there they read out for films was the one used in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It was, no, it wasn't, it wasn't, I really wanted to get to that one because I'm a huge Python fan too, but this was called the, uh, you can actually Google it online. It's called the Needpath Castle, M-E-I-D-P-A-T-H. Needpath Castle, just off the Tweed River, and uh, just a just amazing experience. It's just it's so strange to be in buildings that are you know five hundred and fifty six hundred years old. Just the history in them is just unbelievable. It, but, it, uh, it, it said what I learned on that trip was that um, they don't. A lot of these places don't have roofs on them anymore. You know, they're, no. they're, and, and one reason for that is the castles get handed down to families, and then the heirs. And the great, 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 great grandchildren of, they can't afford these places. They can't afford the taxes. But if they take the roof off, they don't have to pay as much tax. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So that's I just figured we, that the uh, the roofs had been cannonballed away over too many attacks. So, there's that, uh, yeah. There's that too. Um, listen, let's bring it back to more recent times. Um, you, uh, you actually had the distinction of opening the Hallmark season, the countdown to Christmas for 2021 with uh, one of your latest films. And uh, this is the one that uh, stars Danica McKellar, Benjamin Ayers and uh, Jason Hervey. And uh, it's the, uh, the Christmas tree film here. Um, You, you, me and the Christmas trees. Yeah. Originally, originally aired October 22nd on the, W network and people can find it streaming and stuff in various places. It was a lot of fun. It was kind of quite an honor to open their, their season. I've been doing Hallmark movies now for about five, six years. Didn't, I didn't really intend to, I just kind of fell into it and I've ended up doing, I've been lucky enough to do four or five a year since 2005, yeah. which has been great. I mean, it's a great company to work for and it's great to do, you know, I, I get teased about it a lot, but it's it's really great to do family entertainment the kind of movies people you know families can sit around and watch together. Well, yeah, not only families can sit around and watch, but um, you know these films draw four million viewers in the states, don't they? I mean that, that that's a mass audience now. Yeah, I think the total viewership in the states last year was something like eighty plus million people watched these movies, and I think as I've said quite often, and you know you've heard me say this. Um, I think Hallmark Channel offers a safe harbor for yeah. for viewers. I mean, sure, the stories are corny and sure, they're very similar, but also they kind of offer you a lot of safety as a viewer. And I think people kind of need that, especially in dark times. People gravitate to that kind of uh, safe entertainment. So uh, these movies will outlive me, I'm sure. <laughs> But, you know, here we are. Everybody's uh, gone through 18 months or so of isolation. Uh, They're wearing masks and fearful about COVID. And on top of that, you have, um, you know, a lot of four years of political unrest in the United States. There's there's no end. You know, the global warming, my God. So when you turn on a Hallmark movie, you don't have to deal with any of that for a couple hours. uh, Just just heat up. You, you, You turn on the fireplace. And you heat up a nice hot cup of cocoa and you just sit back and watch. Uh, no, they're, they're, and they're a lot of fun to make. I mean, the challenge is trying to make them a little bit different. You know, I mean, I always, I kind of like the challenge of that. I mean, I know when I started working for Hallmark, they used to say, you know, they weren't really into 
moving cameras a lot. And I thought, oh, this isn't going to be for me because I, as you know, I like to move cameras around. I like to use Steadicam and, and uh, Ronin and all sorts of, because it's moving pictures after all. It's just a style that I love. And I started doing that. And then of course, Hallmark loves it now. They're pretty excited about the movement. And I think other people have kind of adopted it. Not that I invented it or anything, but uh, try to try to make the films lively and visual and you know, pull viewers into the stories with all sorts of, the way we choreograph it and the way we shoot the scenes and stuff, just to try to make each movie a little bit different and, and surprise people. Uh, great working relationships now with uh, folks like Danica McKellar and Lacey uh, and uh, all these other people that are the superstars at Hallmark. Um, how many films have you done with Lacey, for example? With, well, Lacey, Lacey Chabert, I've done four, I think four, three movies, three or four movies with. We just finished one of her um uh, crossword mysteries called right. uh, Riddle Me Dead, which I heard just recently is is airing on um, CTV Drama Channel nice. across Canada. I wasn't sure. You know, you're never sure where they're going to, you know, they're going to run in the States on Hallmark, but I'm never really sure where they're going to end up in Canada. A lot of them run on W Network. Some of them run on City TV, but um, Riddle Me Dead was a fun, it was, you know, a different kind of offshoot. Um, Hallmark's obviously taken some of their, their favorite stars and, and, got mystery wheels developed for, you know, several of them. And so that was part of the crossword mystery. She plays a crossword. She's the crossword puzzle editor for the New York times, I think, or something, some fictional paper. And uh, she uh, helps a police detective played by um, uh, a guy whose name slipped my mind right now. Brendan, uh, Brendan, Brendan, Brendan uh, Elliott, Brendan Elliott, actually. And Brendan, Brendan and I actually went to, same high school in Calgary. We discovered through a shock, but uh, what a small a, world, small yeah. world, many years apart, of course, because he's much younger than me. But, um, but that's, that's the thing with Hallmark is that most of those movies are shot in Canada, right? And, and where is uh, the Christmas trees was shot in, in British Columbia? The one that's uh, the one that was on the 22nd, you, you, me and the Christmas trees was uh, Vancouver Island actually shot in partly in Victoria and just South of uh, Duncan, BC people who are familiar with the island, there's a tiny little village there called Whipple Tree Junction, just south of BC. And it's a, it's like a little uh, Hollywood backlot that for some strange reason had never been used in a, in a movie before. So we, we kind of introduced them to the movie world and uh, decked it all up with our fake fish ice and our Christmas trees and made a little Christmas village out of it. But it's a, quite a nice little place. Talk a bit about that, because a lot of these movies are shot in May, June, July in Canada uh, in order to have them ready for the Christmas season. Uh, and so you guys often, you're standing there in shorts and your crew and everybody else in t-shirts. Hawaiian shirts. Right. And, and the yeah. stars are in wool, dark, uh, heavy wool coats and blankets and scarves and mittens. The, the price of stardom. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of tr- tricky. Uh, you, me and the Christmas trees was actually shot in a heat wave in uh on the island, you know, that we had quite hot weather. Uh, I'm not sure how it was out east, but in Western Canada, we had a major heat wave in August and September. And uh, that's when we were shooting the movie. So the ice tended to melt even faster than normal. And, uh, you know, the actors are all bundled up in scarves and parkas. And, but that's why they get the big bucks. Yeah, you know, there you to, go. To look cold. So you, you literally will truck snow in from hockey rinks and places, right? Absolutely. Yep. Fish ice is what we've been using a lot lately. It's uh, fish markets use uh, fish, sort of the ice that they use to, to uh, keep the f- frozen, uh, you know, the fish, the seafood frozen. Obviously, this is before they've done that. This is clean yeah. fish ice, but uh, that's definitely where they, where they buy it from and they truck it in. That's a little secret that people will now know because of this. But uh, wow. yeah, it's f- fish ice. 
It'll be our little secret. Um, the other in the old days, they, as you know, in the old days, they used to uh, raid uh, hockey rinks and take all the Zamboni ice and right. and truck it in for various Christmas movies. But you know, it's all illusion. The Which thing is, it takes so long to make these movies that you really need to start making them in August and September to have them ready for Christmas. Well, don't you, in fact, sometimes I think you have shot after Christmas, like in February or March, but then you run into a crazy Chinook or heat wave and you still have to bring in the ice and snow, right? Yeah, I, I'm sure I told you uh, I did a movie with Tim Reed that we filmed in Ottawa a few years back, four or five years ago. Uh, it's called The Rooftop Christmas Tree. And coincidentally, it shows up quite often on W Network. I think it's running next week, actually, sometime. But uh, And we shot in Ottawa in February. It was 30 below zero. And I think they had something like 40 centimeters of snow hit. Some of the worst conditions I've ever filmed in. Wow. But down in L.A., they're seeing the dailies going, this is amazing. I don't know how you're faking all this. It's incredible. It's like, boom, how did you do this snow? It looks real. <laughs> but uh, there's nothing like that. And, you know, I think the problem is they can't green light stuff fast enough. But what, what I think um, they're, they're trying to do is prep these movies a little bit earlier so they can shoot them in places like Ontario and yeah. February and March so we don't have to fake so much. Right. It's much more fun to be able to broaden your horizons with a camera and actually see vistas and, uh, rooftop Christmas tree. If anybody gets a chance to see it, it was just a ton of fun because we were we were shooting in a little town just outside of Ottawa, um, Elmont, and uh, just it looks amazing. I mean, you can't you can't beat the real thing. We'll be back with director David Winning in just a moment. There's music in the city, and the lights are on display. There's a big old tree for all to see. Where the children run and play I look out through my window Have you heard about the pact? Hmm, the pact. The only pact I'm interested in is the one where you learn to cook and make dinner every night. No, no, the, the pact. The new six-part limited series from Britain. Available now exclusively in Canada on Super Channel. It's the story of a group of friends, a sudden death, and a web of lies. <laughs> this kind of drama sounds familiar. I've met your friends, remember? The Pact is a show about <laughs> secrets, friendship, and divided loyalties, where nothing turns out to be quite what it seems. John Doyle at the Globe and Mail calls it a nifty, down-to-earth British thriller. Hey, John Doyle is God. I bet you wish you could write like him. There are plenty of cliffhangers and twists, to quote Doyle, but the true pleasure is in watching these unremarkable women who live humdrum lives try to extract themselves from an anxiety-inducing nightmare. You almost feel like you're right there, working on that brewery line in South Wales. How did you know it was set in South Wales? I read John Doyle's review, of course. And you should start reading them, too. That's The Pact, (laughs) available now on Super Channel Fuse. And remember, Super Channel is available through most cable providers across the country. Amazon Prime Video Channels or Apple TV+. Plus. And we're back with David Winning. Well, you mentioned Tim Reed, and I know you you did work with the late great Valerie Harper and other folks. You did on a yeah. certain vintage. I mean, do you, you know? And you're working all the time. You're on a tight schedule. But do you get a chance to talk to any of these folks about swapping TV stories? Or well, I I you know Valerie Harper was great. She had just been uh, diagnosed with a, the brain cancer problem that uh, ultimately claimed her and. 
I think it was a up TV movie town that came a court and that we shot 2014, 2015. So she came up and she played this part. And it was her and Lauren Holly in this movie. And uh, just such a wonderful person. I mean, she just taught me so much about just the, the great attitude she had about living, you know, it's like, it's, you know, it's not my funeral yet. She kept saying, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sick, but I'm not gone. I'm still here. And she really wanted to, to, to contribute. There was even a, an attempt to try to get um, Mary Tyler more involved, but unfortunately Mary was quite ill at the time. So it would have been great to try to reunite them, but you know, there's all sorts of issues with, there's only so many stars you can bring on, on, on a movie. Like if you've already got your one U S star, that's enough. So I know Ed Asner's done a Hallmark movie or two as well. Hasn't he over there? Yeah. Played Santa Claus in one of them, I think quite recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's great. It's one of my, one of my favorite, well, you know, you know, one of my favorite series of all time, Mary Tyler Moore. I thought it was amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's we, uh, we lost, I think three or four of three of the stars and one of the producers this year from the series. So, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, you know, Cloris Leachman in the last year, I think, and uh, Gavin McLeod and Ed Asner, and I think one of the producers, I can't remember his name. Yeah, not James L. Brooks, but uh, the other one. I know who you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, you've had all these great experiences. Um, and um, talk a little bit more about um, this one with Danica McKellar, because You've got Benjamin Ayers, who's uh, a Canadian, and, and is yeah. done a lot of Hallmark. But Jason Hervey is in it, and he and Danica, of course, people will remember from the Wonder Years when they were like 13 years old. So Yeah, Jason played the uh, meaner older brother on Wonder Years, and so I, we had a great opportunity to have kind of a mini uh, Wonder Years reunion, which was a lot of fun. I think he was surprised. Jason is not really acting much anymore. He's actually producing quite a bit. Yeah. And uh I think he just, you know, he called up Danica and he said, the Hallmarks called me about something. Do you know anything about this? And she was like, well, who do you think suggested you? Because she really wanted to, they've, they've been friends for oh, cool. ever since the series. So it was really great for them to be able to get back together. And, and he's so much fun in the movie. I mean, he's the mustache twizzling uh, bad guy, not, not giving it away to let you know that he's, uh, he's definitely the nemesis of the lead. And uh, ben, ben Ayers is great. Ben Ayers is from Kamloops originally. He lives in Ontario now and, this is my third movie with him. I did um, Falling for Vermont a few years back uh, with him and Julie Gonzalo, another Hallmark movie. And then I think two years ago, we did uh, Blue Ridge Mountain Christmas with um, uh, producer Jim Head out in Vancouver. And that was a lot of fun, too. He's a great guy. I mean, he's just a great person to have attached to a movie. I've talked to Ben. He is a great guy and uh, can do comedy and drama. Um, we, uh, we were staying in a hotel opposite our rooms ended up being opposite of each other in the hallway. And the secret about Ben Ayers is his wife's a brilliant cook. She's got a whole pancake business that they've started easy peasy pancakes. But uh, the secret about Ben is that he makes incredible every Sunday, he bakes incredible sourdough bread. So every Sunday the door, there'd be a knock on the door and there'd be Ben with uh, a nice loaf of bread. So, you know, once I got through with the movie, I had to try to lose the 20 pounds I gained working on it in Victoria, but <laughs> you probably tried to extend the shoot another weekend. Uh, <laughs> I keep, I keep texting him saying, I miss my sourdough bread, but no, it was great. It was a lot of fun. What's and then the other movie, the other movie we've got coming out, we've got uh, November 25th is uh, a sequel to a movie called the nine lives of Christmas. That was uh, done back in 2014. And apparently uh, it became kind of a big fan favorite with Hallmark. So, the fans were asking for sequels. We want a sequel. Sequel. Everybody likes cats too. It was a lot of 
cats in the movie. So we just finished shooting the nine kittens of Christmas yes. with um, Kimberly Sustad and uh, Brandon Routh, who uh, people know as Superman. Superman, yeah, returns it. Gregory Harrison. Gregory uh, Harrison was amazing. He's in, he's in the original as well. He was so much fun to work with. I'm a huge, uh, well, as you know, sci-fi nerd. And, of course, Gregory Harrison was in the TV version of Logan's Run. Right. And so I, you know, teased him about that because I was a big Logan's Run fan. Logan's Run was this, you know, people forget. I think people forget Logan's Run. But in 1976, and you know this, Logan's Run was the biggest science fiction movie of all time. Everybody loved it. It was amazing. And then it just got completely dwarfed and forgotten because one year later out came Star Wars. Yeah. But Logan's Run was quite a, quite a quite a brilliant movie for me as a as a I think I was a fifteen or sixteen when I saw it and I I just was a big fan. So and then the TV the TV series was not quite as long lived or or memorable, but it was great to work with Gregory and kind of share stories about that. It was one of the most expensive series I guess Universal had ever done in the seventies. I bet. Well, and also you know I mean I used to work at TV Guide Canada and I remember in the back in the day he was in. Uh, Falcon Crest and uh, even yeah. Trapper, uh, Tra- Trapper John, like he's had a long career starting very young. Yeah. And he's uh, a really great guy. We had a lot of fun working with him and very, very professional. We only had him for 10 of the 15 days of shooting. Uh, but um, so we had to kind of lump all his scenes together, obviously, because he had some uh, prior and and following commitments on the movie. But uh, just a just a joy to work with, just a real pro. You know, some people you just work with, you just get. I mean, I did a, as you know, I did a movie uh, a few years back in Montreal with Bruce Stern, who's one of my idols. Wow. And I would just, I mean, I would be sitting beside the camera, and Bruce would be one, doing one of his speeches for the movie, and I just got lost in it because some actors are just really captivating, and you realize why they're movie stars. You know, and Bruce Stern was certainly one of those, one of those people. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I'm sure you caught his great cameo in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, yeah. you know, which was a role that was intended for Burt Reynolds, right? And uh, Reynolds, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, Reynolds passed away, and uh, Bruce Stern stepped in and uh, killed that 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 scene. So good for you to have a chance to work with him. Wow. I have a whole story on my website, if people are interested, on uh, www.davidwinning.com. I did a whole... Uh, article thing about uh, working with Bruce Stern in Montreal because uh, I, some people know this, but he he broke his leg shooting Swamp Devil for us. Oh no! Uh, he slipped on some uh, very sort of slippery uh, forest summer others in uh, in the forest we're in, and he was such a trooper that he kept shooting. The ambulance showed up. It was like midnight. Ambulance showed up, pouring rain in Montreal. And Bruce said, get them to shut their lights off. So they shut off their lights and he shot this last scene and then they turned the lights on and took him off to the hospital. And so he had a broken leg. So we had to kind of shoot around it a little bit for the last week. But I thought, great, I bring my idol to to Canada and I break him, you know. It was uh, it was it was a fun movie, Swamp Devil. It's one of those uh, kind of tongue in cheek B movies that we shot in Montreal for uh, very low budget. You really, all you did was add to the legend of Bruce Stern, though. I think, <laughs> yeah. You know, and he was that. he was he was very proud of himself because he was a runner. He used to do miles and miles of running every day, even in uh, the age he was at there in his late seventies. I think he's still around, still kicking, and he's apparently yeah. still back running too. No kidding. Uh, you mentioned that shoot was fifteen days. That's pretty pretty long shoot now, isn't it, for these movies? 
Well, no, actually, Ben Ayers sent me a little note this morning because he he read the article and he said he said tell Bill we don't shoot these in seven and eight days. Some of them some of them are seven. I've done I've done an eleven day one. Most of them are fifteen days generally. Okay. Um, some of the super low budget ones have I've heard get as low as eight or nine days, but uh, fifteen days is still kind of um, you're kicking butt. You're shooting really quickly trying to get these movies all put together because. Basically, you have to shoot, you know, some nine to 11 pages of script every day. Yeah. So it uh, definitely has to be a kind of a well-oiled machine. And fortunately for me, I've been able to work with the same crews quite often in, in BC and various places. So that kind of helps. You get a bit of a shorthand developing with of the creatives and stuff. So, yeah. But and, you know, in the old days, it was always like 30 days was considered short. You know, they do a movie in 30 days or... And nowadays, the big budget features are like 60 days to 100 days or something, you know, for the big, the big blockbusters. Yeah. Um, and, and in shooting through COVID and all the safety protocols, does that add days to your schedule? It doesn't add days, but it definitely slows down the process, obviously. Um, one of the things I'm really proud about in the film business is the, the protocols they've instituted for uh, COVID protection have just been amazing. You know, we do... Uh, Everybody's wearing masks all day, obviously, except for the actors when they're filming. But when they're not filming, the, the masks come right back up again. So we're all we're all uh, a lot of us are tested weekly. Uh, we do temperature checks and the usual kind of stuff. You have to kind of do a COVID. Uh, there's a COVID tent on every set now. You basically have to check in in the morning and talk wow. to them, and they take your temperature and they give you new masks and and there's uh, they've hired uh, new people that basically are on sets all the time that are. COVID safety people that are just walking around making sure your masks are on and that you're kind of keeping distant, but it's a very social business. So, you know, it's, it's hard for a hundred people kind of crammed in sets to, uh, to try to maintain some social distance, but we're really, we're really proud. I mean, I've done five movies now and, and crossed my fingers. No one's gotten sick. Wow, that's so, amazing. you know, we're very proud of that. And uh, certainly awesome. in BC, they take the director's guild and, and all the unions take it really seriously. So it's very, it's very, I mean, it's as safe as I think it can be. Um, And it was so nice to be able to just get back to work. No kidding. And, and has it restricted the Americans that you can bring North? Like, you know, at one point, I think they would have had to have uh, isolated for a period of time, right? Yeah. I've worked on a couple of films where they had to basically come up uh, first week of our prep. We usually prep for three weeks and then shoot for three weeks. The first week of our prep, the stars would arrive and they'd have to quarantine for 14 days, but you'd still be able to have, like we're having now zoom calls. A lot of the, so much of the business now is zoom calls, which is great. It's something that I think will probably continue on after, uh, because in some ways it's a lot more, it's a lot more efficient to be able to just uh, see people. And, you know, I mean, I've held up diagrams and maps and, you know, we do all sorts of things on zoom calls now. And uh, in some ways it's a lot more efficient, but uh, so that's kept people safe and separated. It's not much fun for friendships, you know, it's very kind of a, it's tough. Yeah. It's a bit, uh, a bit clinical of a world where you can't reach out and give people hugs and high fives and stuff. But uh, well, here we are. Don't go away. We'll be back with more winning stories in just a minute. You've heard me say get into it for a while now on CTV. Now, get into what you're asking. Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's start with our pal and former podcast guest, Jan Arden. Look for special guests to be dropping in on her this November, including Tegan and Sarah, 
as well as Michael Bouvier. And also look for Jan to get mixed up in a love triangle. Isn't she always? On The Voice, November means we're getting into the knockout rounds. Look for judges Kelly Clarkson, John Legend, Ariana Grande, and Blake Sheldon to start stealing each other's artists. Shame on them. That's on Monday nights. Tuesday on La Brea, time is running out before the window to home closes and the survivors of the sinkhole scramble to escape. And I thought the potholes in Brampton were bad. And on Sundays, Celebrity Wheel of Fortune has a boy band reunion with Joey Fatoni from the InSync group, you remember them, and two members of Boys to Men, all spinning and solving puzzles for charity. This November, CTV also has all new episodes of The Good Doctor, Queens, and Grey's Anatomy coming at you. So get into it all month long on CTV. Uh, talking, of course, with David Winning, director of many, many films and uh, a native of Calgary, Alberta, correct? Yes, Calgary, Alberta. That's where I'm speaking to you from today. Very Beautiful good. southern Alberta. There you go. Where there is no snow as of yet. Well, on Knockwood, keep yeah. those fingers crossed. Uh, I, I, I bet you there will be, though, at some point this winter. Oh, yeah. As there will it's, be. Gonna be, it's heard it's going to be a hard winter. Yeah. As we always hear, the almanac always tells us, get your, get your parkas out and yeah. undust that snow shovel and get ready. <laughs> uh, David, we talked too about this before. You started, uh, your interest in making films began when you were a youngster. I think you were like just 10 or 11 shooting on Super 8 film. Is that true? I don't even know if people, um, I was, I did a radio interview this morning and I said, I had my super eight camera and I thought, I don't think anybody even knows what that is anymore. But yes, in the old days, we used to, we used to make our little home movies with eight millimeter cameras and super eight millimeter, which was a format that was uh, created by Kodak, I think in the seventies uh, for home use, which was just offered a bigger, a bigger uh, image, image to shoot. Um, I started making films. And, yeah. Well, yeah. I was, I was 10. My dad got me a little Kodak Instamatic uh, camera. There's a picture of it on my website. So people go, go see the website. You'll learn more than you ever want to know about me. But I... Uh, <laughs> I um, good site. What's that? It's a very good site. You're real. Everything's up there. People should visit. Oh, thank you. That was my COVID project, actually, to be honest. It kept me sane because I realized I had such an old website. People were saying, what is all... Because I had, you know, I, I, I started this website in 1999 when websites were brand new. And and uh, I realized I hadn't changed it in 20 years. And I was getting teased about it. So I spent a lot of COVID kind of updating. And, and I have a web designer that works with me in Las Vegas that was helping me put up and we've got now got like over a hundred clips, video clips on it and stuff, which is a lot of fun. I mean, it's like, so I see my, my life pass before my eyes when I <laughs> click on the website, but there's all sorts of, uh, and there's all sorts of, uh, what do you call them? Easter eggs and hidden stuff in there for people that are really bored and want to find out, you know, how do you, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think one of my purposes in life now is to try to inspire people that are coming up, you know, I think it's really important to get people excited. Cause I mean, I started with nothing. I started with zero. I mean, I was a kid in Northwest Calgary and I had a bunch of dreams and I couldn't even imagine directing 40 feature films. I couldn't imagine directing one feature film and I had no idea how I was going to get into the business. So, you know, I started with this camera and I made movies with my friends and people said, well, what's your hobby? And I said, well, I guess my hobby is making movies. And, and so what I've done basically is I turned my hobby into my career for the last 40 years, which, which, which is great. 
And it's kind of the dream that some people have. Unfortunately, now I have no hobbies. <laughs> well, I made it my work. Uh, you, well, you should ask Ben about the pancake business, maybe, or uh, <laughs> baking. Maybe, maybe I'll learn to bake some sourdough bread. There you That's go. Uh, what do you recall in those early films? I'm fascinated as a youngster. Were they slapstick comedies? Were they dramas or sci-fi? What were you doing when you started it? Oh, kind of a bit of everything. I used to do a lot of. I mean, you can actually watch them there on YouTube. That's one of the things you go. I, I, I did a put a bunch of them up on YouTube. I called them backyard epics. But if you go to the website and look at, there's a time tunnel thing or something. I can't remember what it's called on my website. Uh, uh, the Wayback Machine, I think I called it. That was my tribute to uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Um, sure. uh, but I mean, I used Mr. to do pic- what's that? Anybody and Mr. Sherman. I love the way yeah. back. Yeah, and Clyde, you know, I was thinking about Clyde crash cup and the, uh, Alvin <laughs> and the chipmunks and all those things, you know, I love that stuff, Bill. It's the kind of things only we're going to remember. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, I used to do, you know, driving like, you know, we animate, you know, frame by frame driving on the lawn with an invisible car and stuff. I spent my teen years putting a lot of miles in our backyard with a lot of friends driving around the backyards and these fake invisible cars and stuff. It's just tons of fun. And, um, and it's the good old days when you, when you'd shoot a film and you had no idea how it was going to turn out, you didn't have video assist or anything. So you just mail the film away and it would come back in the mail a week later and you just sit around with your friends and laugh and laugh because the stuff turned out so much. It was just, we just had a ton of fun. And, you know, I used to do a lot of sci-fi stuff and, uh, you know, no, I, I was really into special effects when I started. I thought maybe that was what it, the kind of career I was going to have. I thought I love science fiction so much. 2001 is still my favorite movie of all time. And I've probably seen it, you know, hundred times when I was a teenager and I just loved it. And so I thought I'm going to get into special effects. That's going to be my way into the movie business. But um, slowly but surely, I kind of developed this interest in, in narrative storytelling and, uh, I did my sh- first short film when I was 19. I think I got a, uh, a Canada Council grant and uh, I thought, you know, what's the next step? So as I mentioned, I was going to go to film school and I had raised up a bunch of money in my twenties and my dad was, you know, helped me out. And I was, I was working as a waiter and a bouncer for a while and uh, all sorts of places. And I thought I'm going to go to film school. And then one day I had this inspiration. No, you know what? I'm going to make my own movie. And uh, you know, picked my dad up off the floor because he was in shock. You're what? <laughs> uh, so we put all this money and went out and literally bought film stock. And uh, I went out and made uh, storm when I was 22. And my idea was, you know, I, I just kind of forced it into existence. I was so naive back then. I just thought, well, I mean, what's a feature, what's a feature film. It's like five or six short films put together. I've already made a whole bunch of short films. So I literally just went out and shot this movie with a bunch of friends in the woods in Brad Creek in 1983 way back when and then all through my 20s took me about four years to finish to raise the money in editing and stuff and i ended up selling it to uh canon which was a company that uh, yeah. was doing all the chuck norris movies in the 80s and they really? they paid for it and we got it blown up to 35 millimeter and uh that got me into the director's guild and the rest is history bill it's a great story okay. david I, I, it's inspiring i um you know, uh, fooled around a little bit with with making short films as a youngster, as a lad in high school and stuff. And uh, I made one that um, it was entered in a in a university contest and won a little prize. And uh, Good for you, that's great. It was fun, yeah. And uh, 
But so my claim to fame is I beat Adam McGoyan in a film festival, you know, when I was like uh, 20. So that's, we, our paths went in different directions after that. But the, 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 the good thing was that the professor at the time at the U of T, Gino Matteo, said, well, I'm going to have uh, lunch with uh, Norman Jewison. So do you want to oh join us? So I got to sit in, at the foot of the master and, and listen to him. And the thing, at the time, I was thinking, maybe film school, maybe, what do you think, Mr. Jewison? And I remember him saying, no, for God's sakes, don't do that. Drive a cab, uh, do what you <laughs> did, be a bouncer, be of these things. Because if you haven't lived, if you don't have any stories, you have no business telling stories or making movies. And uh, wait till you're 30 or 35, and that's when you should start being a director. Which was good advice and bad advice, because I admire what you did. You just went ahead and made a film. And I think that's that's smarter, because when you've got the, the energy and the juice and the desire, that's the time to explore it and express it, I think, rather yeah. than wait. Yeah, well, I always say, you know, if I had been, because I stayed in Calgary and I made the first two independent features, I went on to do Killer Image with uh, Michael Ironside and Emmett Walsh in 1990. Oh. Great act. Four years. Oh yeah, I worked with uh, I worked with uh, Emmett Walsh four years after he shot Blood Simple. Wow! And I was terrified of him because I was Blood Simple was one of my favorite movies, and and he was amazing. He was great, and uh, you know every take was different, and every take was brilliant, and just Emmett Walsh is one of those uncelebrated, amazing character actors from the states. Who's just he's been in everything, and a lot of people don't know his name, but if you see him, you definitely know him. Oh. Great, great actor. Michael Ironside. I once pissed off Michael Ironside, which is a guy you oh, never... I pissed him off many times. Well, I, yeah. I, I didn't think what you worked with him, I think, did. He had a short okay. fuse, but um, incredible actor. Yeah, he's really great. Well, he, uh, Michael Ironside got my career launched because, uh, as I was saying, this is the reality check for me was it took me four years trying to raise money and... And this was, you know, just slogging and phoning and trying to call people. And somebody said, well... Have you sent it to Michael Ironside? And I didn't have a contact for him. And we sent it to Ironside. He loved it. And three weeks later, we were fully funded and shooting the movie. Wow. And I realized that then that, you know, naively, as I said, I mean, Storm happened because I just didn't know any better. And Killer Image happened because I realized that the entire business is driven by star power. Nobody cares who the directors or the writer is. They only want the stars on the screen. You know? yeah. So once I got Michael Ironside and Emmett Walsh involved, we were off to the races, but that was a very valuable lesson for me. No kidding. Good for you. Um, was there a mentor? Was there somebody along the way that you learned a lot from? Did you AD at all? Like uh, how did that, you know, was there something? No, I never, I never, I never went that the kind of ordinary route. I've never kind of worked my way up through the crew ranks. Uh, I just kind of did all of those jobs myself. I kind of taught myself how to, make movies because that was the only way in when you're, you know, nobody kid from the prairies and there's no, you don't, you don't know anybody and you're not connected. I mean, I think the mentors I've had haven't been, I mean, my parents were wonderful mentors. My parents were incredible people and uh, they taught me so many values that I think really kind of instilled in me the, you know, the kind of stuff that I think makes me a good Hallmark director. You know, I had, and I, and I think to myself, a lot of the times when I think back on the Hallmark movies, I think, you know, it's fun for me to think that a good Cal Calgary upbringing is influencing the big Hallmark channel. Yeah. I, was, I was raised by wonderful parents. I had a loving home, strong family values. And, you know, my parents taught me to take care of people and stepping up when people needed help and uh, trying to turn bad days into smiles. And that's kind of the humor. Everything really came from my parents. So when you say mentors, that's that's who comes to mind. 
Yeah, and I know that uh, you're very close to your mother who lived to be a grand age. Uh, yeah, my poor mom. She, My mom passed away in April this year. She's my best friend. And uh, she was, It's it's been sad for me because a lot of these, she loved these Hallmark movies. And it's sad when I realized I started making, you know, I got into, uh, I did a movie called The 27 Hour Day this year and it was shot in the summer. And I realized it was the first movie she wasn't going to be able to see. So but she was a sweetheart. And, uh, did, did and I, I got, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, my parents were my heroes and everybody, everybody knows that about me. And, and uh, you know, my dad's been gone a long time. My mom just obviously recently. So that's pretty, that still stings, but um, I like to think that they, uh, that they're proud of me. And I like to think that they're enjoying these movies somewhere. I don't know if they have Hallmark channel in heaven, but they should. Well, look, if any place has Hallmark movies, I think if any channel they might have, that would be... That's uh, where it would be, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I believe, and condolences again on your mother's passing. It, Thank did you. Do you, you pay tribute in a, in a way to her with a naming of a character? Is, do I have a story right, or am I on the wrong track? Um, I actually named one of my companies Faith Entertainment uh, after my mom. My mom's name was Faye. And uh, my dad, I named a company after my dad when he passed too. So I've got, because I, one of the things in Canada is you kind of have to have corporations and companies in every province because the the country is so provincial now. So in order to work in provinces for a long time, things are a little bit different now, but you needed to have a corporation set up in each province. So I tried to honor them that way. Nice. Good for you. We'll be back with director David Winning in just a moment. It came upon a midnight clear that glorious song of old from angels bending near the once again, it's time to visit with Emily Gagne. Emily at Hollywood Suite. What do you got for us this month, Emily? One of the things I'm perhaps most excited about is our Norman Jewison weekend. Wow. I, I'm excited about that, too. I'm a huge Norman Jewison fan. Uh, we had the author of a new book on Norman Jewison on a podcast, and uh, I've always uh, just loved his films. So uh, what, what, ones do you, what ones will we be seeing in the Hollywood Suite lineup? Yes, uh, just so you know, this weekend is happening the 19th, 20th, and 21st across our channels. And the first night, the Friday, we have uh, films, sort of message films that Norman made, like The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, and In the Heat of the Night. And then on Saturday, we have some underrated faves, Best Friends. I don't know if you remember that one, Bill. Oh, I uh, do. I'm <laughs> and with, uh, uh, with Burt Reynolds and Goldie Hawn, I think, right? Yes, you got it. Some, some huge stars from that time. Uh, and then we have uh, A Soldier Story as well, which has Denzel Washington in it, um, an important film. And then on the Sunday, we have some of Norman's romances. We have uh, Moonstruck and Only You. It's uh, November 19th, 20th, and 21st. You can watch the films of Norman Jewison. But also, just so you know, all of these films are on demand this month on Hollywood Suite. So if you can't make that weekend, if you've got other big plans, I don't know what you're up to. Uh, but if you just want to watch Moonstruck tonight, you can go ahead and watch it and uh, snap out of whatever you need to snap out of. <laughs> Perfect. You, you nailed it, Emily. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. Here he is again, director David Winning. Um, just want to talk a little bit, David, about your, the other, uh, 
uh, genre that you were so proficient in with uh, Van Helsing and all these, um, so, you know, supernatural sci-fi vampire films. Uh, yep. You must be tempted. Uh, would the ultimate thing be to make a vampire Hallmark film? Is there a way in there? Is there somehow to... Yeah, we're trying to figure that out. I think it would be called Mistletoe and Monsters. <laughs> so we're just trying to we're just trying to figure, figure out the right script. I don't know. I always, honestly, I try to separate my career because I always figure if Hallmark finds out how much science fiction and scary monster and horror movies I've done, they're not going to want to hire me again. But I firmly believe, and I've said this always, entertainment is entertainment. It doesn't matter the genre, whatever it is. You're always trying to pull people into stories and pull people into characters. And uh, literally have done, I'm not sure there's a genre that I haven't done. You know, I did kid series for Nickelodeon for... I've done six or seven kids series. I've done uh, Westerns. I've done a ton of sci-fi. I did, uh, I did Andromeda for, for five years with uh, Kevin Sorbo. And I did uh, Stargate Atlantis and uh, Earth Final Conflict down in Toronto. And then what else? I've done, you know, comedies. And you, But the truth is, all of it's, it's all the same. It's all entertainment. It's all about... It's all about sucking people into stories and pulling people into storylines and characters. And and so from that point of view, it's, it's all just, I mean, it's tons of fun. I kind of like, I kind of like the scare shows. I mean, I started out, uh, I guess I started out really as a sci-fi guy. I mentioned 2001 and the original Star Trek, which I've been endlessly teased about my entire life was, was what taught me how to make movies. I was like a 10 or 11 year old kid watching old reruns because uh, I actually didn't, I wasn't old enough to see the original I don't think I I was watching the syndicated reruns and that was kind of teaching me how to make movies on a little black and white TV in the basement watching these shows. And, um, you know, I like, I like action thrillers and stuff. One of the reasons I I got into the, pardon me. One of the reasons I got into, uh, into uh, getting, making movies was because of marathon man, 1976. Oh yeah. The the famous, you know, Dustin Hoffman and, uh, Lawrence Olivier and the dentist stuff that that was kind of what pulled me into thrillers. Is it safe? Wasn't that the one? Yeah. Yeah, No, that's a scary. My favorite thrillers of all time. What uh, you mentioned, um, uh, 2001 and Stanley Kubrick, uh, he must've been a a hero in terms of directors who, who other. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Stanley Kubrick is the man. I mean, I just, um, one of my idols was uh, Kubrick. I, I wish he had, I wish he had lived longer. I kind of robbed us of another 10 or 20 years of great movies, but um, yeah, Stanley Kubrick's probably my favorite director. I also on the complete other end of the spectrum was a huge uh, and am a huge uh, John Carpenter fan. Oh, wow. Um, I loved all of John Carpenter's uh, movies like, uh, you know, um, the fog and Halloween and stuff. Halloween, especially when I was younger, because it was such an amazing breakthrough for a, kind of a nobody filmmaker who made this little movie for well at the time low budget it was about three hundred thousand dollars in 1978 and, and up until recently it was the most successful independent film of all time i think it made 51 or 52 million dollars and i think it got bumped off the the pedestal by uh, blair witch project wow amazing and then i'm sure there's been something since but uh so big john carpenter fan i'm a big I'm huge i think the best screenwriters working today and have probably never made a bad movie or the Coen brothers. I love yeah. the Coen brothers movies. And, uh, I also, I'm a big fan of, um, Tarantino, although I think Tarantino's kind of low class, but quite brilliant in his own right. Yeah. Oh, well, can't argue there. Um, what is the scariest movie you've ever seen? 
The scariest movie I've ever seen is one that I, <laughs> well, there's two of them actually. The scariest movie I've ever seen, I actually haven't seen because I have never been able to watch it. 1973, The Exorcist. Wow. It's one of those movies that comes on in hotels once in a while when I'm working and I think, gee, The Exorcist is on. I've never seen it. And so I'll start watching a few minutes and it's just an incredibly creepy movie. And it's like, no, I'm done. I'm done. I click it off. And um, probably the uh, scariest uh, recent movie was I'm, I'm into the Japanese horror stuff and uh, the ring, the remake of the ring really, really shook me up. I couldn't walk, I couldn't walk by television sets for a few years. <laughs> and uh, I was a big fan also of the um, paranormal activity movies. I found them really freaky, the sort of found, found video movies. Uh, there's something about that sort of pseudo fake documentary things that I find kind of creepy. Yeah. Blair Witch, I thought was really creepy. I think I was a uh, friend, a friend I was with didn't think it was very good at the time. I remember being teased about it, but uh, I, I got creeped out. I'm a, I'm a kind of a sucker for monster movies. Um, 28 days later, I saw the very first day it opened, scared the crap out of me. Same here. I love, I love, uh, I love, I mean, to me, that was, they weren't zombies, of course, they were rage victims. Yeah. But to me, that was the first movie that had kind of sprinting zombies, sprinting yeah. zombies, which I found terrifying. Yeah, no, that, that scared the hell out of me. Um, uh, well, those are good choices. Now, I, I like to ask folks um, a couple of three questions about uh, television right now. Um, is there a series that you're binging? Or, I know you're very busy, you're making all these films, but when you get a chance to watch TV, what are you watching? Oh my gosh. You know, when people go blank, when they think of Netflix stuff, I, I, yeah. I'm binging a lot of shows recently. I think I just, I'm starting on um, the one that everybody's on right now. I, I think I'm three episodes in on the squid game. Right. Uh, which is great. Um, I was, I'm a big fan of, uh, Oh, I was, I thought one of the best series for me personally that I've seen on Netflix in the last five years, another scary show was um, haunting of Hill house. Huh. And the sequel that came out, The Haunting of Bly Manor, was also good. Oh, and uh, of course, the one recently that I just binged was um, Midnight Mass. Same director, Mike Flanagan. Very scary, brilliant. I don't know if you had a chance to see that, but it's, uh, it's, no, it's, I'll have to quite, it's quite good. Yeah, it was shot uh, in Vancouver as well. Were you a Cronenberg fan? Uh, yeah, I've got not a, I, 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 yeah, Cronenberg was one of my kind of heroes, but I, I have, um, I have, I think three favorite Cronenberg movies, which are probably not everyone's favorite. Uh, I think my, my favorite of his movies is, uh, History of Violence, wow. which I thought was quite brilliant. Um, and probably tied in first place for favorite would be The Fly, Jeff Goldblum. It's something else, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, Eastern Promises was pretty amazing. I'm more, I tend to like uh, his more heavier drama action kind of thrillers than the, the creepy earlier horror stuff. But uh, obviously I have a kind of a connection with Michael Ironside and Scanners. Yeah. Which was yeah. Kind, kind of fun, but yeah, I've done uh, two movies with Michael now. The story there is I interviewed him. He was on ER many, many years when, when ER, which was a tremendous 15 season hit, when it started, he was sort of the mentor doctor to all these kid doctors. And yeah. that was going to be the, the, the series. And then after six episodes, he quit and he went and did a submarine show for Fox or somebody that didn't last. And I interviewed him and said, uh, 
uh, well, why on earth would you leave uh, ER? And he said, even a comfortable chair will kill you if you sit in it long enough. <laughs> That's funny. That's the thing sounds to say. Like sounds like him. Yeah. Uh, I thought he could have sat in it a little longer. Uh, yeah. Um, now, uh, we talked about uh, the shows you're watching now. When you were a youngster growing up in Calgary, was there a kid's show that you just couldn't miss that you would race home from school to see? Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. But I was thinking about the, uh, do you remember the Amazing House of Frightenstein? Yes. Hilarious House of Frightenstein. <laughs> hilarious House of Frights. Yeah. yeah. Billy Van. Uh, definitely. That was like a morning thing I had to watch. Yeah. Um, gosh, what else did I used to watch? I mean, I was a big, you know, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea fan and anything Irwin Allen did in the, in the, in the uh, 60s was pretty cool. Um, but I mean, I started, I started out watching, you know, the marionettes and stuff and the, um, you know, Fireball XL5 and the Thunderbirds and stuff. And years later, when I was in Budapest working on the series I mentioned earlier, ABC's Dinotopia, I got to work with uh, Keith Wilson, was the production designer in the series. And Keith Wilson actually designed all the original Thunderbirds. Wow. And, uh, and he also worked with uh, Jerry Anderson on uh, Space 1999 and all those, and the original UFO series, which nobody remembers anymore. But uh and so that was amazing. So I got to, the fun part about this job is how often I get to play fanboy. Yeah. You're the director, so you can't be too fanboyish. But uh, I've, I've worked with some really incredible folks and I've had some really great experiences and got, you know, I mentioned Bruce Dern and yeah. you, get, you get close to because Bruce Dern was one of my idols from Silent Running back in the 70s. Yeah. One of the uh, original kind of low budget sci-fi movies that was so brilliant with the with the forest domes and the little drones walking around. It's just yeah, it's stuff like that. I mean, I I was so inspired to make movies when I was a kid, and that's kind of what I feel like in my my older days now. Is uh, is my job is to try to keep inspiring people. And then the day I stop being excited about making movies, I'm definitely going to retire. But I still yeah. feel like a little kid. I still feel like the kid in the backyard with the Super 8 camera. Yeah, I don't think you're lucky that way. It hasn't burned out on me yet. You're nowhere close, I don't think. These films are fun. Um, And uh, just two things on on what you just said. uh, And I love those super marionation shows like uh, Supercar. Captain Scarlet. I forgot about Captain Scarlet. The Brain, all those Fireball XL5, they were fun. Um, Now, William Shatner just went up in space. What was your take on that? fascinating i thought yeah. isn't that funny how it comes full circle I, I i did a facebook thing and i said godspeed james kirk safe travels of course <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was fascinating and i thought he was quite brilliant and eloquent when he came back yeah some of the stuff he said i mean it obviously was an incredible moving experience for him but you know when i was 11 you know captain kirk was my idol you know that's who i went everybody wanted to be captain kirk when they were well maybe the girls didn't but <laughs> um, but, we proud, uh, baby. Uh, now and the final question is uh what was your all-time favorite tv theme song oh my gosh my favorite oh all-time favorite oh gosh um it's going to be a tie between three. Is that possible? That's absolutely accepted. Yes. I feel the same. Hawaii five Oh, Oh, that's a great theme. Um, Mission impossible. Yeah. Another one. And for the, those and are for the, the same and composer, the, I think. Are they Laszlo? Yeah. The same guy shift. Maybe the same guys. And for the sappy side of me, the hallmark side of me, I love the theme to Mary Tyler Moore. Yes. Who can turn the world on with her smile. I love that theme. And I love that whole series. 
I've heard, and I think Jim Brooks was the name of the guy we were trying to remember who passed away in the last year. Uh, no, not Jim Brooks. No, James Brooks is still around. I'm trying to remember the other guy's name. Yeah, isn't that crazy? But um, the story behind that theme is the composer walked in, Curtis, I think was his name, and uh, played them that Sun, song. Is it Sonny Curtis? Sonny Curtis, exactly. So he, he played uh, that, that theme to the Mary Tyler Moore show, Who Can Turn the World On With Her Smile? And they liked it. And they said, yeah, yeah, let's go with that. And no one's ever really heard from him again. No, like, I know. Think he had any other song or credit. Like he did, he wrote. Yeah. Where did this guy go? I have a fourth, actually. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, welcome back, Cotter. It's a great one. Yeah. Welcome back, Cotter. Uh, interesting. John, John Sebastian. John Sebastian, exactly. And um, uh, a, a pretty cool show too, with the sweat hogs. Yeah. The sweat hogs. Yeah. Yeah. It was just it was just my, our era, my era. You know, I mean, these, we date ourselves with these shows, but it's it's all about what inspired you as a kid and what made you dream bigger and stuff. You know, I mean, that's why that's why you have these idols that last your whole life. You know, that maybe seem corny thirty four years later, thirty or forty years later. But uh, you know, that's what that's what's kept me going. And it's just weird to think that I. I mean, I don't know if I've become this yet because I can't really judge my career yet. But it's it's nice to think that I'm. I mean, I hope these movies survive me and uh, I hope they're inspiring. You know, I have a very good friend who says to me, no matter what you do, every movie you make is going to be somebody's favorite movie in the world. Or every TV show you do is going to somehow inspire somebody. You know, maybe maybe a lot of people won't like it. But like, for example, uh, you know, these two movies that are coming up um, this uh, this new Christmas season. So it's going to be somebody's favorite movie ever. And that's kind of exciting. You know, you touch, you touch one person and, you know, move them and they like the story and watch it over and over again. It's like, you never know what's really going to hit. You just kind of try your best and try to make everything as entertaining as possible. Well, it's working, uh, David. Congratulations. Those two movies, again, you, me and the Christmas trees that's premiering. Well, it's already on Hallmark. You can catch it there, stream yep. that one. And uh, also on W network in Canada, as well as Hallmark in the United States and the nine kittens of Christmas What's and not to love about Nine Kittens of Christmas? How could you not watch this movie? It's actually, it was, it was adorable. Yeah, tell it was us, kind of fun. what's it about? Can you give any hint? Well, it's about the Nine Kittens of Christmas. It's, uh, it's about Brandon Routh, uh, Superman to a lot of folks, uh, plays, uh, he's reprising his character from the original movie, The Nine Lives of Christmas. He's working at his fire station. He's the chief of the fire station. And suddenly one day this box shows up with holes in it and there's nine kittens inside. So, and uh, through the course of the story, he reunites with uh, Marilee played by Kimberly Sustad. And they have, uh, well, maybe, or maybe not. I can't tell you, I can't give it away. It's a spoiler. You know, I think, okay. are they going to rekindle their romance from the original movie or, or not? But uh, during the course of this, they, uh, they have to find homes for these nine adorable kittens. And, uh, you know, they, they say never work with kids and animals. And I had uh, an amazing child star in this movie. And I had nine gorgeous kittens who I think have all been successfully and rather quickly adopted by various crew members. Ah, Not really? me. Not me. I missed out. But yeah, they're all they're all in safe homes now. Kimberly uh, Sustad. She's Canadian, right? From Ottawa, I think. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Kimberly's great. I've done uh, two movies with her. She played Aaron Krakow's sister in uh, um uh, snowman. I can't remember the name of the movies. Um, something about snowman. It's like the movies. The titles all blend together. Bill, I'm getting Looking old. On uh, Hallmark, they've got their whole uh, 
Countdown to Christmas list up uh, now. And it's called, it's, it's called Sense, Sensibility, and Snowmen. It was a movie we did oh. a few years ago. I've done, I've done four movies over there, and she's a lot of fun. They took uh, they did a series Hallmark, right, where they took classic novels and they gave it a Hallmark twist. That was one of them, I think, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. Listen, uh, David, you've been very generous with your time. Congratulations on everything. You probably have another film to direct in days uh, or hours or weeks or something, right? <laughs> I've just got to go right now. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. What? What? Just, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll Always trying to be busy. Keeps me out of trouble. Well, keep it up, man. Congratulations. Thanks for your time. And uh, have a uh, wonderful Christmas when it comes around. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate the support. Thanks very much. All right. Take care, David. One brief note before we go. The name of that Mary Tyler Moore Show co-creator and executive producer who passed away earlier this year, it was Alan Burns, who died in January at 85. He also wrote the movie A Little Romance. And, uh, well, listen, thanks for all the laughs, Mr. Burns. That's how I'm going to remember your name now, Mr. Burns. Also, the Mary Tyler Moore Show theme song, Love is All Around, was indeed written by Sonny Curtis, still with us at 84. Curtis was a member of Buddy Holly and the Crickets. He continued to perform with the Crickets and wrote many songs for others, including Walk Right Back, recorded by everyone from the Everly Brothers to Anne Murray, I Fought the Law, covered by dozens of recording artists, Bruce Springsteen, Green Day, the Dead Kennedys did a version, and More Than I Can Say, recorded by Bobby V and Leo Sayer. And he really did make it after all. He was voted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, along with the other crickets, in 2012. You can take a nothing day And suddenly make it all seem worthwhile Let you go and you should know it Well, that's it for this episode of Brio TV, the podcast. Our producer is Phil Hong, artwork by Katie Brio. And please follow us and subscribe on Buzzsprout, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, or wherever you listen to these things. And remember, you can always catch up on TV news and reviews daily at Brio.tv. I'm Bill Brio. Thanks for listening.